the community that I have found myself welcomed by since has been so vibrant, um, so incredibly full of life. It's, I almost, I'm still, it's so recent that I still almost can't believe it. Like I, I still want, think it might be too good to be true. I'm not sure. Well, folks, I don't feel like I have to do a real long intro for this one. That's Jen Hatmaker. Uh, she talks all about her uh, love of writing, her love of honesty and vulnerability. She specifically talks about the evangelical uh, Christian subculture out of which she was born and raised and then that she was spit out of and the process behind that. Uh, so you're going to love this conversation. I did. She was so warm, so funny, so good, so, um, so personable. I loved it. Uh, you're going to notice gang that, that for the first about maybe 15 minutes or so, uh, there's some audio difficulty. And of course that would happen with my interview with Jen Hatmaker, dang it. But it does clear up right around 20, the 20 minute mark. And so the last, you know, 35, 40 minutes are crystal clear. Uh, so bear with that. And I apologize for that. Not sure what happened. It was just, we were in it and uh, we weren't stopping. So enjoy Jen Hatmaker, my friends. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, Jen, I thank you so much for coming on This Good Word. Um, you're someone, you know, like, so when you write, you always well, I mean, you don't always write, but typically you'll you'll say, "Hey, girls," or whatever. And I'm like, "I'm I'm I'm reading, Jen. <laughs> I'm not a girl." <laughs> so uh, your complaint is registered. I've logged know, it. Can Can yeah. I please register that complaint? Um, yeah. No, I really. It's a it's a it's a very thinly veiled uh, encouragement because I really love I love your writing and I love your journey. Um, the journey that you've been on, because I've, I've read you for quite a long time. So yeah. I want to talk about all the things, everything, everything. Um, but so, okay, first question for you, Jen, is what's giving you hope these days? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I don't know if this is the right spiritual answer, but <laughs> I'm just going to tell you for all of my five kids are at sleepaway camp this week. All five of them. That is glorious. That is heaven. So it's given me a lot of hope. I'm like, you know what? I can handle this. I can handle this life. I'm going to clean up the rooms while they're gone. I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm actually serious. But um, that is exciting. That's when your kids get older, you get to engineer this sort of fabulous, dreamy ability. So you're coming. Um, other than that, I would say, I have a lot of hope right now. Um, you know, I was sitting in, in church yesterday. Brandon and I started a church in Austin here uh, 10 years ago. And it is, it's very dear. It's small and it's kind of quirky. And it's just kind of a bunch of rebellious people in it, like my favorite kind of people. Yes. And, you know, we were just together um in our service, talking about what's going on at our borders with mm -hmm. the race policy, and just it was such a collective outcry in the room. We're so very aligned um, spiritually and ideologically, and and praying for that reversal, the reversal of that policy. Praying for those kids. It just, I just remember that sometimes church can be helpful. 
Sometimes yeah. the church can be so beautiful and she takes a little digging sometimes to find her yeah. to polish off all the dirt. But um, my church to me continues to be sort of a beacon of goodness and hope and it helps me remember why I want to keep being a Christian. I, I think that is so amazing. Um, I, uh, so I've, I've read a little bit about Austin New Church, um, and I started a church four, four years ago, so younger than Austin New Church. But, but I feel the same way. Like I feel like I could probably be, be a pastor at three churches in the world. You know, right, like, totally. And somehow I am pastor at one of them. Yeah. Um, because I do, I, I, I agree. Like I feel encouraged when I'm with the people that, that, that are quirky and weird and, and outside of the box and far from the bullseye. Um, but that's where yeah. I feel at home. And so I, I think that's really encouraging, but I also sometimes maybe like you do, Jen, like I, I have a sort of a moment when I realize, oh my gosh, that's really not the reality. Most places, most churches. Oh yeah. And I just, I know that personally I've been yeah. in church. I mean, I went to church three times a week as a fetus, you know, I'm no stranger to church and I'm no stranger to, um, behind the curtain. I was a pastor's daughter. Yeah. Um, and then I like promptly married a pastor. And so I've always been on the inside of things. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't speak far. Um, I, I, I like almost everybody has, had wonderful moments in her church life and really hard, terrible moments in her church life. And so it sort of spit me out on the other end here. Um, pretty selective, if that's the yeah. right word. Pretty, yeah. uh, I, I, and I don't love this. I don't say this in a proud way, but I give the church a lot of side eye. Mm -hmm. And I'm really careful about what I love. And I'm really obsessive crazy about what my kids hear and what sort of teaching I ever let them sit under. I just think there's such damaging, horrible teaching going on in so many churches. And so, um, so yeah, I would say that as I'm a discretionary lover of the church and, um, and still find a lot of light and love left in her. Yeah. I like that. A discretionary lover of the church. Yeah. And I think that's important. And I think that's, again, especially with our kids, you know, so funny. Like, so I was talking to my son, Isaac, who's 11. I, I was telling you, I was driving him to school and he's actually talking about being baptized this summer. Right. And so, you know, so I'm like, well, okay. So I, I, I was talking to him about what that means. And, and at some point I must've said the word Christian. Cause he goes, wait a minute, dad, what? We're Christians. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> like, okay, I actually think that's maybe, maybe a good thing that, that he said that. So I said, well, I go, well, I mean, you know, there's a lot to talk about with that. But yeah, I mean, we are and, and I am. And I go, what did you what did you think we were? He goes, I don't know, Dad. I just thought we were kind of in the middle, you know, and I'm like. <laughs> Yes, because I feel so like discouraged about like, am I doing a job? Like, I'm a pastor, and I like, am I raising my kids to hate the church, to love? G I, I have yeah. no idea, and so we don't either. We're not sure. It's too soon to tell. Uh, you know, we're we're pretty sure it'll grow up and tell us what we did wrong. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we don't know either. But I, I'm like you. I, I err. 
Our kids are absolutely clueless about Christian subculture. Like they don't even know what that is. They have no part of it. In fact, my daughter, she went to a a typical evangelical um, girls conference for like high school girls. You know what I'm saying? So it's like in a big church and it's girls from all over Texas, of of course. So and that put that um and you know i I knew i knew who who she was going with so i'm like listen if you hear something weird just call me and let's talk through it (laughs) um but she was like mom she was like i um did my very first christian mosh pit um there's more paper like you don't even know you don't even know we laughed so hard because i grew up in the I grew up in the belly of the beast. I mean, yeah. I grew up in the bullseye of yeah. Christian subculture. I mean, there wasn't a bit of it that I did not digest and spit back out to anybody in spitting distance. So I, you know, we, we tried to sort of dial it in a little tighter with our kids. Did we do this right? I literally have no idea. I mean, I really do not have any idea, but, um, you know, we tried to keep it really, really simple for them. Like this is Jesus, the kind of stuff he said, this is the kind of life he led and what he told us to do. And that's what we're going to try to do. So um, I think they have a, a, a simple idea of what faith looks like in action and not easy by any. I mean, they've seen us sort of go through a whole lot of things that are not easy, but they're simple. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I love the I love the honesty with that and also the hope in that. Right. That gosh, I hope they're. Um, I hope they're picking up a little bit more of a simple, messy theology yeah. versus a systematic, uh, buttoned down, figured out, um, you know, a theology that can handle all of your questions. <laughs> oh my gosh. Totally. How boring is that? Um, right. So, okay, Jen, I, um, you have, um, you have confronted the, the, the belly of the, of the beast, um, especially as it relates to being open and affirming and being public about that. And I've heard you talk about this. Um, maybe you're sick of talking about it, but I think, um, there are so many people that are still so incredibly wounded by the church. And so to hear someone like Jen Hatmaker say, no, actually I went through a long process of changing my mind on it. Uh, is just a really important thing. Uh, it is important. So it is important, and people were doing that for me in advance. So as we, as as Brandon and I, were sort of privately rattled um, and starting to to push in a little harder and um, ask questions, sort of behind closed doors, other people who were, were walking that path publicly ahead of us made a, a huge impact on us. Yeah. Um, basically sort of sh- shining a bit of a flashlight in front of us. These are the right questions to ask. Here's some potential um, sco- scholars to read. Here's a body of theology that you might not have been exposed to. Um, here are some things that I wrestled through. And so um, having somebody else sort of cut a swath mm-hmm. jumble in front of us really, really mattered. And so I, I understand the importance of uh, my influence here. And I, I hope to steward that really well and, yeah. and, and apply high integrity um, to that space. Well, could you talk a little bit about your journey with that and how you and Brandon uh, walked that one out? Because 
And one of the particularly things that pissed me off as I was watching it um, is that people assumed because I think because you're a woman that you must have just mm -hmm. made this emotional decision that wasn't grounded in right. scripture reality. Right. But in fact, no, that wasn't the case at all. And how how how, how incredibly patronizing um, that 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 reaction was. So can you can you walk through a little bit of sort of how you how you got there? It was really frustrating. Um, sort of the gendered response, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, to to me, as opposed to to what another man in my same position uh, would have gone through, was very very telling. I mean, that's all sort of they're all sort of legs of a similar stool, you know. And yeah. so um, I, I'm not wasn't new to any of that, but it was an added layer of uh, sort of honestly suffering um, through all of that. But uh, I think, I think for us, um, far from being sort of just like an emotional feelings based decision. I mean, it was actually the opposite. We, I would say Brandon and I probably, um, studied and prayed and engaged conversations on the ground and listened to leaders on, on, for the, the, a solid two years yeah. and the better for uh, it was just simply my notion of the kingdom of God that drew me in because I, um, I mean, I'm, I deeply, deeply believe in the kingdom. I believe in the ways of Jesus. And I, I have watched them change everything. I've, they've changed my life. I've watched them the ways of Jesus change countless lives around me. I'm absolute delivery. I'm a total freedom. I mean, I, I, I've devoted my life to this. I believe it so strongly. And so uh, I couldn't make sense. I couldn't make sense of the LGBTQ community because what I was watching was this community of people. And let's just for a minute just dial in to gay Christians. Yeah. So the ones who of course didn't want to be gay, the ones who literally had done everything in their power, um, to either become straight, which is of course the old narrative, right. um, or ultimately to be celibate. And, and I want them to turn all the tools of my faith, the tools that I believe in, because I know that they're powerful and I know that they work prayer, mm -hmm. intercession, um, all this deep soul work, um, sacrifice scripture. I mean, the most powerful things we have in our hands. And I watched them apply those powerful tools with full sincerity, full sincerity to their sexuality, um, or even to their ability to bear it. And I thought, what I know of the ways of Jesus is that what we should be having with this amount of um, powerful work in and upon and around this community, our churches should literally be spilling over into the aisles with either people who used to be gay and Jesus delivered them because right. that's what he does. He's a deliverer and he does that all the time. Um, instead, what I saw was the most crushed demoralized, um, rejected, just internally broken community I've ever seen. So I thought, well, 
either this is the one thing that God has no power over. Mm. We found it. Mm. Like we found the one area that he's in it. He can't crack the code, right? Mm. Or we are turning our most powerful spiritual tools upon a community that God did not ask us to turn them on. Wow. And instead of saving them, it's tearing them apart. Yeah. And so that was the beginning of our journey. What followed that was, gosh, roomfuls of scholarship and hermeneutics and exegesis and all of it. And um, at the end of it, we, we came just to the conclusion that, um, that there is a path in front of the the gay Christian that is noble and honorable and and godly and, and monogamy and marriage and commitment is available to them too. And they can serve the church and each other in the same capacity in the same way. And um, and so as you, as you know, that, that, that's when the internet broke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was long. It was long and it was slow. And, um, and it was, it was, it was hard. I think I don't, it, it was this very, um, it took time to get to that part. And so, um, I'm glad that it wasn't rushed. I'm glad that it wasn't an emotional, just drop in the bucket. Like this feels bad. So I'm just going to change my mind. You know, I'm glad that, that was the story, um, that it was thoughtful and it was prayerful and it was deliberate. Um, because it's, that's a real comfort to me now, a, yeah. a real comfort to me. And that's where my courage comes from as well. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. I, I love, sure. I, I loved what you were noticing that you took time to notice like people, genuine followers of Jesus who are gay are praying to be delivered from this. And so, I mean, with all their hearts, yeah, with all their hearts. I mean, Justin Lee yeah. would be a great example is book torn yeah. of, of yeah. Uh, someone who was so sincere. So this thing of like, why are we continuing to believe that um, Jesus is so incompetent at this one area, but we're just going to double down. We're going to double down. Um, so, and then I think Jen, for me, as I was watching it, the response you got was doubly damning to the evangelical community of like saying, listen, um, it's it's one thing to disagree with someone's scholarship and, and interpretation. It's another thing to utterly and instantaneously discard. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and that's an indictment. I mean, that is an indictment yeah. um, on the yeah. very... Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go right ahead. No, I'm interviewing you and I'm talking too much. Go ahead, Jen. You're not. I'm nodding while you're saying it. And I, you know, I want to, I want to first acknowledge that I did have, I had a group of friends, um, evangelical friends who, you know, we are not aligned on this at all. Um, and they're also public in their own ministries. And I had a group of friends that was, very good to me during that time. Very, um, even across on the other side of this gap and, but, but kind and attentive and protective and, and to me had the response that you just sort of described in the opposite. Um, you know, because there was this other outcry that was just so, uh, so punitive, right. And just, 
instantly dismissive. Um, some of those were my friends too. So those were the hardest. That was the hardest of all. Um, instantly, um, that's it. You're just, you are out. You are dead to us. Um, your face is as flimsy as the paper you wrote it with a crayon on, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and a lot of that was gendered, as you mentioned. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, so just kind of had to weather that. Well, I, so it makes me want to ask you, Jen, as you look at Christianity now, probably through some different lenses and from a different perspective and vantage point, are you seeing a new reformation trying to happen, happening? Are you seeing that as certain things are crumbling or does it feel like, nah, I don't know, man, we're, I think we're still in the deconstruction phase. Probably both. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that, that probably both things are true at the same time. In our life, uh, it has been something of an awakening. And, uh, you know, we sort of found ourselves uh, without a home, to, yeah. for lack of a better word, just sort of stranded. And, and so the community that I have found myself welcomed by since, has been so vibrant, um, so incredibly full of life. It's, I almost, I'm still, it's so recent that I still almost can't believe it. Like I, Mm. I still want, think it might be too good to be true. I'm not sure. I Mm. don't know if I can trust it, but um, to feel so like, and, and not just on the issue of the LGBTQ friends of ours, but in general, yeah. just to find a group of people who I feel like are I'm aligned with in a hundred ways, mm-hmm. um, that the ways of Jesus just seem obvious and make sense to me. And I am baffled at how Christians can be on such polar opposite sides of what to me feels like a justice issue mm-hmm. um, of fill in the blank. So to kind of find that tribe and not feel crazy anymore, to not feel lonely anymore, because it's pretty lonely to be progressive in an evangelical world. It's pretty lonely space. Um, and I would add that I was deeply surrounded at the time with a, an enormous swath of sort of the reformed camp. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's just a double down. Yeah. Um, and so to sort of feel free and loved and um, a, a like-minded with the people that we're doing life in church and ministry, and we're kind of online leading now, it feels so good. And and I wish that I, I wish I would have made sort of these public declarations earlier. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have, that, that's my only regret is mm-hmm. that it took me this long to get here. Well, that's interesting to say, because I, you know, I think we read online different things, people on Twitter, or Facebook saying how lonely it is sort of, to believe some different things within a community like the evangelical church. And at the same time, I, I, like, like I want to say, oh my gosh, but there is this world out there of, of vibrancy. Like yeah. you don't, you don't have to be that lonely. I get it totally. Right. Yes. Um, yes. But- it's so interesting that you're saying that because this is how I felt the last couple of weeks, month or so watching all this sort of go down with the SBC and Paige Patterson and, you know, all of that mess. It was so interesting because I felt 
there was a piece of me that obviously I'm paying close attention because this matters. This is the biggest denomination in America. Mm-hmm. Many women and girls are under its leadership for whom I have a specific affinity and for whom they are, I think on the lower end of the totem pole in that organizational structure. And so I worry for them for sure. And I'm watching with interest. I am watching several members of the SBC sort of do the right thing. And I'm watching the women call out Paige Patterson and call for his resignation. And I'm, you know, I'm sort of watching from outside the window Mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I feel glad. I feel grateful. I'm like, yay, they're, I, some of them are doing the right thing, but I also feel very distant from it. And I feel like, Hey, not, not, I feel like I'm knocking on the window saying you can leave. Mm-hmm. Like I want you like you to look out the window and see the sort of wide open spaces that you're just not choosing. Like while it's great that that denomination seems to be coming into this century on their ideas about women. Um, at, at, and they're nowhere near uh, anything else on our gay community or, I mean, we're just talking about women at this point, right, but right. they don't, that's not the only way. It's not the only space. And it's like, I want to just grab the bullhorn and be like, Hey, meet me out back. Like <laughs> yeah. women are valued. This is not on the docket for a lot of us. We are not yeah. fighting this anymore. We are not, our man leaders are not having to decide if we have value. Yeah. Like, so so it's kind of both what you're asking me. Like, do you see this reformation happening? Um, or is it, I think it's going on still, but the truth is anybody who loves Jesus, you're, you can walk out of that prison. Yeah. You know, you don't, that is not the only thing that there is going. And I think there's a very vibrant faith culture going on right now in our in our country that's exciting and it's life-giving and it's joyful and the fruit is undeniable. I mean, you can't, you, you cannot look at it and in any logical way conclude that Jesus is not in it. And so, um, so I think I've lost a lot of patience for that, those discussions and those spaces, like, Fine. Fight it out in your conventions with all your white men. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I hope you're on the path to doing better, but I'm, I don't, I don't have any part of that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and no offense to white men, which you are one. I married a white man. Oh, yeah. So. Well, no, I mean like, so, I mean, white supremacy and patriarchy are systems, right? I mean, the, the, these are systems in which we are entrenched in. And so while it is about certain white men, absolutely, um, the, you know, dismantling the oppressive system is, I think, some of what I'm seeing that is happening. But also, man, it's a stubborn, you know, it's like we need a big earthquake for those foundations to fall. Totally. Um, and I think I think they're cracking and crumbling. And I just hope in my lifetime... <laughs> I can see some of that, some of the effects of it. And, and I think we are seeing it. I mean, you know, and and some of the courage of people like, like you, Jen, and, and, and many others uh, who are just saying, come out back. Like, you know, like the the water's great out here. It's actually exactly like you don't have to fight about that. I mean, you can, if you need to, and if you're called to that, God bless you. But, um, and I didn't mean that. God bless you. Like in the Southern one, oh, bless her heart. But um, <laughs> yeah, I followed. Yeah. Yeah. But because I do think there are some people who, for some reason, they can discern a calling to, to reform a system. And True. I think that's, man, that's okay. Um, 
Thank you so much for that. I do have 17,000 more questions and, and I see the <laughs> clock running. So um, I want to talk. So I heard you, I was at the festival of faith and writing this year. Uh, and I, I wanted to come and meet you, but the lines were too long, Jen. So um, I just, I just hoped we could talk at a different time, but you yeah. said this thing about writing that I found that, that was so beautiful. And it was, there was a time that you, cause you've always been so hilarious but then there was a time where you sort of felt maybe some insecurity about like the hilarity means that you're not deep or something. Yeah. But then you got to like you transcended that and you embraced your funny and you and can you talk about that process? Because I think we all are in, are in a process of finding our yeah. voice as writers and stuff. Tell us how you how you got to that point. Totally. <laughs> I'm tickled thinking about it just because um, like my spiritual soul is such deep waters and I. I just have always deeply loved Jesus and I've deeply loved people. And so it was ministry that brought me to the writing table. So it was, that, that was, that was my ultimate motivation. That was sort of the driving engine behind wanting to be a writer, but it's just, it was almost like this leftover superfluous part of my personality. I'm just funny. Like yeah, I totally, just, totally. I like to be funny and I like funny people and I'm drawn to humor and I like satire and I love comedy. I just do this. This has been a fabric of my life. And so, um, I thought, well, I guess I just have this like leftover piece of me that I'll just, I don't know what I'll do with. I'll, I'll try to keep that light under a bushel, I guess. Um, <laughs> at, you know, at the time I started writing, let's see, I started writing in like 2004. And so it's crazy to think about, you know, it's been almost 15 years and a lot has changed for women, Christian writers since then. Um, it's 15 years has looks so different than it looked back then. And so I didn't have a whole lot of people to look to. That sounds too narrow. That's not true. There were plenty of women Christian writers, but they were a little bit more homogenous than they are now. So there was this sort of one note that Mm -hmm. everybody kind of played. Mm -hmm. At least that's the note that I heard. That's the note that I was put in front of me. So, you know, I, I just wasn't really exposed to a, to a, a diverse array of, of styles. So I can see, (laughs) it's so painful when I can go back and read some of that early stuff. I can see that I'm trying to emulate them. It's so clear and it's, it's so cringy. I just want to doubt. Um, and so I, I, and I'm trying too hard. I'm just trying too hard. And so I think, I don't know if anything specifically happened except maybe just growing up, like, just being more, I started writing when I was 29. So, I mean, just young. So I think something about growing up and realizing that humor is not just a throwaway quality of mine. It's just kind of part of the way I'm wired. And I think it's possible to communicate important, deep, valuable things and also be funny. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. So I think when I just decided to give into it and stop sort of corralling it and fighting it and forcing it into submission. Um, I think that's really when I started writing like as myself and, and I'm so glad for that. Now I, I always people, it's funny because every time I have a book come out, it's the same exact conversation that I have with my publisher and they have with their sales teams, which is, we don't know how to categorize it. <laughs> like, I know, bless you. 
Like, yeah. go with God. I yeah. don't know how to do it either because it dips in and out of tone and humor and yeah. serious and deconstructionist. And so I don't I don't really know how to describe myself either. But it is good, I think, for everybody listening to your podcast um, to go ahead and just settle in, like settle into your voice and into your style. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't look like somebody else's. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't fit the template. And it doesn't matter if it's not what you think you should be like, it, it's, it's better. The question is really, what are you like? What yeah. is your style? Who, what is your voice? Yeah. What is true? Um, and there's just a lot of freedom and fun in that space for sure. Oh, I love that. And, um, I mean, the categories are so ridiculous on the one hand, because like, if you look on Amazon, there are about 14 million categories, <laughs> like, like, you can be like, like the Christian humor about death, dying and <laughs> suffering from so uh, Native American perspective. It's like, like, they're, like oh my gosh, it's so true. <laughs> I'm number one in the, you know, <laughs> yeah. t- t- technology Christian. Um, anyway, uh, so, so funny. Well, th- thanks for that, because I think um, my my interpretation of that is be who you are and keep doing it. And it'll take time. Like you're not going to nail it at age 29 or 49. You're going to keep going and keep following who you are. Um, and so I love that. Um, okay. Another question. Uh, if you could gather a group of people around your table, who would you want there? That's a good one. Oh man, that's really hard. Like, can it just be however many I want? Yeah. Or how few? Let's see. Well, I would probably want to have my satire muse there, which is David Sedaris. Yes. Do you read him? Yes, I love because David Sedaris. Yeah. He's the master. <laughs> he's the master at his craft. I learned a lot from him um, as a writer. Um, he's just nobody's better. Yeah. I, I have a public, a known public obsession <laughs> with Michelle Obama. I don't care. I'm not sorry. Yeah. I would want to sit right next to her. She would, I, she'd be my seatmate. Yeah. She's just so everything. She's just yeah. so everything. Yeah. I just love her. Yeah. I love her to pieces. Um, I think I'd like to have one of my comedy heroes there too, which is Tina Fey. I love her because she's so smart. She's such a smart, funny and she's so talented. She's, she's, I've learned a lot from her too. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a student of comedy, um, un, unknowingly actually. And so I realized that, uh, in a lot of cases I have learned more from sort of mainstream humorists and writers than I have anybody, any other category. Oh yeah. Uh, Cause they tend to tell the truth without reservation where Christians get real weird. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, Christians are so weird. There is no <laughs> subcategory of humans weirder than Christians. And I stand by it. Oh, I know. Um, I'd probably want my um, my food muse, Ina Garden, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> to beautiful. be there. I'm not sorry. I love food and I love cooking. That's a big part of my like life force. Yeah. And nobody's better than Ina. Ina's the barefoot contestant. She's up in the Hamptons. And her life is so bougie. And so over the top and so pretentious, and I'm here for all of it. Yeah. Just every bit of it. Yes. I'll never, ever not love Ina. Um, that's what I have for now. I Let love me, it. I'll think of more and I'll put them back on, but that would be a killer dinner party. I'll tell you that. 
killer. Would you want to cook for that or have someone else cook for that? I would want Ina to cook. Yeah, 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 yeah. I invited her for a reason. Uh, I would be really intimidated to cook for Ina Garden. Yeah. Um, And maybe for Michelle Obama for that matter. Um, But I would definitely want them on my porch. And uh, I would love that roundtable discussion. I find that the older I get as a leader in the Christian space, that I I find such relief and um, joy and conversations that are outside of it yes because i just sometimes it just just christian stuff just wears me out oh, it just absolutely wears me out i'm tired of it it's the same things bandied around the mm-hmm. same people on each side of the thing mm-hmm. you know it's just the same old ideas and i'm painting a really mean picture that's obviously not all the way through because i'm still here but just the conversations that circle the same drains i just oh, yeah. get worn out of them so when i'm with really interesting people that are outside of our world. I just find a lot of light and vibrancy in those spaces because they're just not, there's no pretense really. And it's, everyone's just telling the truth and it's, um, it's nitty gritty and on the ground real. And I crave that. I love that so much that you said that because anyone that grew up, and I think I grew up in a similar subculture uh-huh. as you though, not Southern, um, there, there, there just were things that you couldn't talk about. Totally. Like, oh, so um, when I was in seventh grade, our family moved from Southern California to Belgium. And I think I made a decision somewhere in my in my unconscious self uh, that I was going to differentiate from Christianity with this move. And so in seventh grade, I, I chose to swear as much as I could. <laughs> in particular, I would say... Jesus Christ, over and over and over again for no reason and for any reason. (laughs) Like, that was my little 13 year old. Like, I am going to differentiate, Uh, but I had no idea even why. Like, I didn't choose that, but but I remember that. So, so um, tickled. That's just so funny. Like, there's so many things that are off the table in terms of conversation. Yeah. uh, Off the table. Or it's the the shame and the disgust is so palpable and immediate if you bring it up. So yeah, like that's just boring. That's so boring. I know. Um, yeah, no wonder you just curse like a sailor, like a 13 year old. I I can see the places too, where I've tried to differentiate and I overreach. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. 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 I'll smoke that clove for the, for the fourth, (laughs) fourth clove in a row. That's amazing. Cloves. Um, Okay. So um, contentment. People, so some of the folks that are going to be listening to this are literally going to be like, oh my gosh, Jen Hatmaker, um, I wish I had her life. And I know you, I know that's ridiculous. Everyone thinks that's ridiculous, but that's reality too. Like people are on the outside looking in and oh my gosh, it's so great. How have you found any level of contentment if you have? And I know it's a journey for everyone, but you seem to be someone who's at least drunk from that cup a little bit. Mm. Um, I think a couple of years ago when I realized um, that at least from a uh, career stand, from a career space, 
that my particular community was incredibly fickle and they would turn on me in a dime. Mm-hmm. Um, and that literally uh, in, in the course of 24 hours, I could have a publisher say, we're pulling your book out of print. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we control that. Mm-hmm. You don't have any control over it. We're making this decision for you. We're going to cut this salary out of your life entirely. Yeah. Um, we're not going to carry your books. When I realized how uh, much control uh, my publishing houses and my readers had over my success more or less um, and how fickle they were and how they really only loved me when I kept them happy and making money. Um, Something in me broke in a good way. Um, In a good way. It just broke free. And I, I said, oh, okay, this is all it's as temporary as anything could ever be temporary and I can't count on it and it's not real and it is not true. And so I, I, I really sincerely released it and I told God, I'm like, okay. Um, so apparently following you in the ways that you've asked me to do might cost me this whole thing, this whole gig, Mm -hmm. this whole career. And I'm, that's worth it to me. And so I hold it so loosely. And so I'm not, I'm not lying to you. If it all went away tomorrow, all of it, if every single reader said, we're not buying what you're selling anymore. And my publishing houses said, you're too risky. And all the churches said, we're not going to hire you. I don't care. (laughs) I really don't. I have the most important things in my life that are permanent. And I know they're permanent. Um, I've got my family and I've got a really tight knit group of friends here in Austin and I've got my little weird church and like all these things are, they're not blowing around with the wind like weird Christian celebrity does. Um, they're not, um, they're not prone to drift with trends. They're not predicated on how much money I'm making for any of them. Um, how much they can earn off of me. And so those things will stay. And so if everything else goes away, that's really what I have left. And that's what matters most to me in the world. And that's true. So um, that kind of freed me up, to be honest with you, um, to not feel like I had to white knuckle my career, my ministry, my influence to keep powerful people happy so that I could keep having a job. Um, Because that was actually crushing the life out of me. Um, And I still have to battle it a little bit. People are still nervous on my teams. They're still like, can you just dial it back? And I'm like, (laughs) I cannot. I cannot. I cannot and and hang on to my integrity. And so so I would not say that that is solved um, in my uplines. But I, um, I know that it is not my, it's not my impetus. It's not my, uh, it's not my fuel and it's not, it's not my motivation. And so, um, that gives me the freedom to, to follow my convictions and to lead with courage. And, and as something at the end of the day is left, great. I, I think that's true. I think there's enough of us out here outside the windows in the wide open wilderness. I think there's plenty of us out here craving leadership in that space. But even if they don't, even if that goes away too, um, I'm content with the permanent fixtures in my life that matter most. Mm-hmm. I love that answer. Um, and I think there's a sense of like, uh, well, I would say, Jen, I'm grateful for you and others like you. 
that are doing the risky work of following the truth where it goes and also kind of showing that 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 it is precarious you know that there aren't any like there 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 aren't um uh any any guarantees as you do that uh so you're sort of building the foundation around community friendship quirky churches that uh are small and paint outside of the bullseye i love it i love it um can i ask you one more question you bet i see that you've interviewed some uh enneagram folks and i'm an absolute enneagram nerd i love it (laughs) i am obsessed with it uh and so um can you like are you public with your number like do you totally okay so what what's your number and what do you hate about it well let me tell you what's funny is self-diagnosed okay um i was positively a three okay just absolutely a three and which it's a lot of the Jen Hatmaker narrative. I'm really high achieving. Yeah. I'm like success and goal oriented. I'm like, I've got that three charismatic, yeah. like big personality. There's lots there that yeah. fit. So, so interesting is when I was interviewing Ian Cron on my podcast, we're halfway through the discussion and you know, he's just picking my brain apart without me even knowing it. Yeah. You know, he's just reading my cards and right in the middle, he sort of says, in his way that he does is like so gentle. He's like, I wonder if I might suggest to you that you have potentially misdiagnosed your number. And I'm like, well, what do you, what do you, what don't mess your, don't mess up my life. Yeah. And he's like, I, I suspect that you are an eight, <laughs> a social eight. That's what yeah. he thinks. Yeah. He's like, I think you're a social eight and who often, sometimes social eights, characterize themselves as threes. And so now I'm completely disoriented and I don't know if he's right or wrong, but when I read a lot of eight work, I'm like, well, golly, that sounds like me refusing to back down, just challenging the systems and all the status quo to come with hell or high water. And so I'm honestly not sure. That's what, that's my answer to you. What are Mm -hmm. you? Oh gosh, I'm a three with a four wing and they're both raging. I mean, raging, raging, raging. I, and I hate it. I hate being a three actually. (laughs) Like there's like when I knew I was a three, I was like, shit, no, no, no. Um, because, but I think the reason why, because I have all the high achieving things too, but I think the area that I've had to grow in the most is this authenticity, integrity, not becoming the person I think um, is going to be acceptable in the eyes of yeah. someone else, you know, and, and I think yeah. that's the key. Um, that's the key shadow of the three. Um, it that, so is. Yeah. And, and I just had to admit, yep, that I, I like, I am more prone to do that than I am to challenge the system or to, you know, to confront the thing. I'm more prone, if, especially if I'm with someone that I want to respect me, you know, <laughs> Like I'm gonna totally. just unconsciously all of a sudden I'm, I'm talking about like loving something that I hate, you know, <laughs> or like, totally. you know, oh, have you <laughs> so read that gross. person? Totally. Oh yes. I'm, I'm thoroughly familiar with their work. I've never even oh. heard of them. So, um, when yeah. I read the three, 
And then, of course, I read the underbelly of it. I was humiliating because I thought, now everybody knows how gross I am. Like, my secrets are out, and I can't even cover that up. And so it's interesting because this is one of the key reasons I think that Ian might be right on my diagnosis as an eight instead of a three because uh, ultimately I am willing to break I'm willing to break with my tribe Mm -hmm. and what they think of me Mm -hmm. and how successful I am in their eyes um, on principle. And so I think maybe he's right um, that I'm not sure. I don't know. I I, I can't quite tell because there's other parts of me, too, that are just so, um, you know, how we have this capacity to read a room, us threes, Mm -hmm, and just know mm -hmm, how to be mm -hmm, in it. (laughs) So gross. It is Just gross. Exactly. Oh my lord! It is so oh. gross. What fix us? <laughs> well, and I think too, like what I hate about it too is like I can read a room and and be somewhat accurate or 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 not. But man, reading my own mail, like like reading my own, how do I feel about this? Is a lot more work. Oh. You can know. <laughs> you know what I mean. So, um, have you have you heard of? I, I think her name is Beatrice Chestnut. Have, have you heard? She's an Enneagram person that does a lot of work around the subtypes, you know, like there's the sexual subtype, the social subtype and the, you know what? Um, the reason I know that is because Ian just sent me that book. Oh he's my gosh. Yeah. To know my subtype. Yeah. I think he, he's, he's talk, trying to talk me into being a social eight. So he just sent <laughs> that to me. I haven't read it yet. Is it good? It is phenomenal. Especially like, cause I feel like we, we are taught over and over again these days about the, about the numbers and, and we need those. And even about the triads, but until we understand subtypes, we, we I think we will misdiagnose. So just 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 okay. read the, her okay. descriptions of the three subtypes of the eight, and then read the three descriptions of the subtypes of the three, and hmm. I I bet you'll you'll have a pretty quick like uh, yeah you know like which one. Oh it is. okay, I'm gonna so, do that today. Yeah, just check it out. She's phenomenal. Um, she is phenomenal. I I, I love her stuff. So um, okay, Jen. Gosh, we are out of time, and I hate it because I feel like we could talk forever. But thank you. Got a thousand more things. <laughs> a thousand things. Yeah. I, I, I have this. I have this sheet of, of questions of which we got yeah. to some, but not all. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. I, I thank you so much. Thank you for um, your time and also your your place in this world that is uh, that is blazing some trails and that is just helping uh, the rest of us out. So, Jen, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening, friends. If you love this good word, there really are two ways that you can show the love. Uh, One is by sharing this good word. If you have a favorite episode, go ahead and email that to a friend. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. That really helps spread the word. Also, you can go to iTunes and leave a review. Subscribe to this good word. That really helps. You can leave a rating as well. So uh, have a very beautiful day, my friends, and we'll see you next week.